Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. would have had serious consequences for the world financial system but may also have empowered the people of Africa something black activists say the US wants to avoid at all costs we slicing cake we slicing cake we slicing cake say the US wants Gaddafi didn't give up. In the months leading up to the military intervention, he called on African and Muslim nations to join together to create this new currency that would rival the dollar and euro. They would sell oil and other resources around the world only for gold dinars. It's an idea that would shift the economic balance of the world. Countries' wealth would depend on how much gold they have, not how many dollars they trade. And Libya has 144 tons of gold. Good morning and welcome to this live broadcast of Tandote Radio Show. Today's date is May the 17th, 2019. And so glad that you could join us. Before we get started, uh, you may have been expecting Dave to be hosting the show this morning, but I will be hosting it, and I should be joined by Pastor Keith. Uh, as y'all know, Dave um, is an entrepreneur, has his own business, and he has some business-related things that he needs to take care of this morning, so I will be sitting in for him, and again, uh, we are expected to be joined by Pastor Keith. Uh, just bear with me. As I haven't done a live program myself and engineered it at the same time, hosting and engineering at the same time, um, I've been on a little hiatus in terms of the live broadcast of Black Talk Radio News, which I normally broadcast. Um, also, I broadcast New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we had a great interview um, with, I can't remember her first name right now, but her, her name is Miss Mohammed. Uh, she's out of New Jersey. And she's a criminal justice reform advocate. She's also an abolitionist because she believes that the 13, well, it's not a matter of belief. It's a matter of the right interpretation. And she interprets the 13th Amendment to not have abolished slavery, but continued it through the prisons. And that that was a great interview. Uh, I don't host that show usually by myself. Um, but I did that that time. So I should be okay today. It'll come back to me. It's like riding a bike. So let me pull up um, some of my windows so I can check the board. If you have a question or a comment, you can give us a call at 704-802-5056. 704-802-5056. Now, it is Friday. So typically on Tando Radio Show, it's financial Friday. After we go through what's in the news, Dave usually um, goes into subject matter concerning your finances. And, you know, he talks a lot about 
real money versus currency. Real money is gold, silver, precious metals, things like that. Um, currency, especially we're talking about the U.S. dollar, is a debt note. And that's totally right. But unless Keith wants to cover those finances, because that's not my strong area. Of course, I have opinions, informed opinions about those sort of things. But, um, you know, I'm going to do something a little different today. I won't focus so much on, on the finances, but we'll go a little bit more in debt to these articles that Dave posted for us um, to go over. It's a lot of important stuff in there. Um, I like to go a little bit more into the news stories if they warrant warranted. Not you know, not saying the way I do things is correct or somebody else does things is incorrect. It's just that we're individuals and we have our own way of doing things. But um, before I get started in what's in the news, please continue to support the nonprofit new media organization, Black Talk Media Project. Um, it is an organization that was founded in 2008 by yours truly, uh, me, and I founded it because there was a lack, well, there was a number of things contributing to it. Um, first, I got banned off of Blog Talk Radio, where I got my start in internet radio, um, when I created Black Talk Radio on that platform, and, you know, there was some, um, some, well, how should I say, um, some racism, you know, uh, being practiced by white people on that platform because it is a platform that's uh, predominantly white. The people who run it are white. And I had an issue with one of the managers named John Sweet. And I, I don't even know if he still works for them or not. I doubt that he does um, or else they wouldn't offer me a legacy account earlier this year. Um but, you know, they said that black talk radio was racist because what if there was a white talk radio, which is kind of redundant when most of talk radio is dominated mostly by conservatives, white conservatives, the Rush Limbaugh's, the Sean Hannity, Sean Hannity, yes, has a radio show. He's not just on, on Fox News and, and what have you. And so, you know, they suspended us for a week suspended the account and it wasn't just me doing the show i had recruited a number of hosts to work in a collaborative effort to produce programming we were the only ones that was doing that with our channel on there and so when i got suspended i said you know what it doesn't feel good that someone can just take my voice away um the audience we had a significant audience they were upset about it and so you know they cut my suspension short and restored the account within 3 days so I, instead of serving se a 7 day suspension it turned out to be 3 days so i was like that don't feel good that don't feel good this man has power over me and over us and trying to dictate what guests we can have on and what the colors of my website is. I mean, just all kind of nonsense. So I started studying uh, internet radio technology and came up with my own way of broadcasting, which I actually have a copyright for wiring uh, um, um, USB mixers to a PC because you had to wire it a certain way and nobody else could figure it out until I figured it out leaning on my communications uh, training that I received in the US military so 
you know, um, it, it, it is very, very important that we have our own outlets, that we control the programming that is going out to people who look like us. Um, yeah, we have a lot of common in, in, in this country and in the world with a lot of other people, but in this country, we have problems that's uniquely specific to us or those problems um, affect us disproportionately. And so we have to maintain our own voices. You know, I was talking to the Miss Mohammed Wednesday night and I asked her, I said, you know, I saw a poll of black voters in South Carolina uh, overwhelmingly, according to a poll. And, you know, you can't put too much stock in polls, especially early in the in a, in a, um, um political game in in terms of a presidential race this early in the game you can't put too much stock in that so but i asked i said now why would all these black voters in south carolina be supporting the father of mass incarceration and she hit it dead on, on hit the nail dead on the head as they say and she said lack of information about who joe biden is and so i thought that i i can i connect that Lack of information about who Joe Biden is, even, you know, we go back to 2016, who Hillary Clinton is, and a number of these politicians that have run. Um, I connect that to we don't have enough independent outlets that's engaging in talk radio instead of just entertainment in, in slop hop music. They call it hip hop, but it, it's turned into slop hop, you know, a uh, killer radio. And so that's what I contribute that lack of information about particular people, about particular issues is to, it's not like the sixties and the seventies where we had all these independent black radio stations. So it's just very important. I, you know, in my opinion that we maintain what we have and we build even more. Uh, and so please, if if you can find it uh, within your budget to make contributions on a regular basis, like on a monthly basis, or if, if you don't have a lot of finances, I certainly understand struggling financially. Uh, just make a donation of what you can, what you can, because we definitely got, got to maintain our own operations and not be reliant on. On other platforms, uh, because history has shown that, you know, when somebody else, when you're on somebody else's platform, they can shut you down at any time. So please continue to support. Of course, uh, also, like Dave always says, if you're interested in real money, if you're interested in real money, you can contact um, Dave. Um, you will see promos on the website, blacktalkradionetwork.com for Prosperity Mint dot com but you know you can go to prosperity mint check out their inventory but before you make a purchase you want to reach out to dave okay so uh definitely it is it makes sense especially with the perils that we seem to be facing that people do invest in real money talking about gold silver and other presses metals um not saying get rid of all your cash but you need to cons con convert some of those debt notes into real money now i do see we got keith on on the board let me welcome in my co-host for today uh greetings to you pastor keith good morning how are you doing hey i'm doing the best that i can um you know under the circumstances uh how are you this morning 
Yeah, the same. I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, but the Lord blessed me with another day. So it's all good. Like my uncle, my uh, late uncle used to say, I asked him that, he'll be like, I'm still walking on top of it, meaning that I'm not six feet under. May God rest his Absolutely. soul now. So, yeah. Absolutely. So um, we're going to get into uh, what's in the news. But before we do that, you know, Pastor Keith, I want to give you some opening remarks. Is there anything that you would like to say to the audience about anything? Yeah, uh, some of the stuff that you were uh, talking about. Are you familiar with the with the situation going on with uh, Ice Cube right now? No, I'm not. Please uh, educate me. Okay, so Ice Cube is going through a whole lot. He's been uh, he's in the media stuff a lot. He's that he and a couple of other people are in the process that I think of inquiring like fifty two radio stations or something like that. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, and if you take note, anytime people of color, you know, Bill Cosby was a prime example. Uh, they really don't want you to have these outlets. Right. You know, they're really fighting um, at, a, at a major level. They don't want people of color to have these outlets to, so that they could tell the news and all of that. Um, and it goes back to a lot of the stuff that we talked about with the other stuff with the propaganda machine and where we are and you know, like you said, the, the lack of information in certain areas, all those sort of things. So I just thought that was interesting that um, he's really coming under all kinds of scrutiny and stuff as he tries to attain some of these platforms. They're very important. Yes, they are. And so I did a quick Google search um, and I'm seeing stuff like Ice Cube Radio um, seeing, I'm not sure that this is him, um, cause anybody could, could use that. Um, but let me see if I can find anything on, on, on that. But so you say that he's trying to buy radio stations. So let me, uh, check the news. I don't see anything there. Okay. Uh, here he is Ice Cube talking about the relationship between hip hop and hoops and, and what have you. Um, let me see. Big three radio is the online station that, um, ice cube created with dash radio, something like that. So, so I'll definitely look more, um, into that. But my question, Keith would be this though. My question would be what type of format or programming will his radio stations have? Will it be hip hop? Cause you know, he, he's big into hip hop. He's that's how he got, you know, his start in the industry was through rap music and what have you as a member of NWA. Um, so that would be my question is what type of programming will these radio stations carry and who will, if it, let's just say, for example, it is talk radio that it's going to be predominantly talk radio. Um, maybe it might even be in the format of Michael Baston. And I, I, I like Michael Baston's, um, I don't even know if he's still on air anymore. I think they got rid of him or refused to renew his contracts after he brought so much attention to, uh, what happened in Louisiana with those students. I, uh, the Gina six, it, it, I, I remember that. And so, you know, shortly after that, and he also brought a lot of attention to the Scott sisters who were, uh, un, 
uh, wrongly convicted of crimes, uh, a robbery and what have you. Um, an activist who I had frequently had on my program, Michael Baston had her on there and brought a lot of attention to, you know, these various uh, stories and hot spots uh, concerning, concerning, you know, people, uh, black people and the issues that they face. And, and so I think he was on the contract with ABC or either CBS radio because he was nationally syndicated all across. But now Man, I don't think I know he's not on the air in, in Charlotte on any Charlotte stations. So, but he, you know, his format was music. He played some old school music, and he talked about the news and, and issues. I thought he had a perfect mix, you know, for for that for that uh, format and what have you. But he's gone now, so that would be my question, Key. What type of rail programming would? Ice Cube, if he is able to purchase those stations, what will it have? I can only speculate, but I could. I, I think with fifty-two stations, you're going to have a whole myriad. It should run the whole gamut, really. Um, but you know, going back throughout the history, one of the biggest fears in this country has always been a medium to bring people a hue together you know, to uh, wait for them to be organized, all those sort of things. Mm -hmm. So, again, I can understand because, like you said, Michael Mason, he was he was big here in Dallas, and all of a sudden he just disappeared. And, uh, you know, to me, that stuff gets shut down. I mean, that, that stuff, uh, as far as uh, uh, radio stations and stuff, uh, mediums to bring uh, – uh, people of color together and, and uh, organizing and all that. That stuff has always been greatly frowned upon. Um, back to Ice Cube. Uh, yeah, that's definitely got to start. And uh, it'll be interesting. But he's matured a lot, I think. And uh, if you read some of his stuff about, you know, where we are, uh, he takes a more mature because, you know, at this point in time, it doesn't take rocket science to see how how destructive so much of our hip hop is, mm -hmm. and um, I will only think that with him having grown kids and everything now, you know he's he, he he's got to be aware of that, mm -hmm. and I would re I would think that that would have to be reflective, and at least some of the radio stations that some of their shows, you know, so. Now, I just thought that was kind of interesting. It does show that he is connected to Dash Radio, which is an internet uh, station, but it's mostly music. Um, yeah, it's mostly music. So, but we'll definitely look more more into this. I definitely am interested, in, you know, concerning um, the area that I work in, you know, through Black Talk Media Project. Um, so, yeah, I definitely look further into that. Uh, let's get into what's in the news. What's in the news? So the first article that Dave said uh, shared was Moscow to respond to new U.S. sanctions re with reciprocal measures. So meaning that uh, you sanction us, well, we're going to do 
the same thing. So let's look at a little bit more into this. It says the latest U.S. sanctions against Russia's Tarek Rapid Response Unit from the Chechen Republic will be followed by reciprocal measures, the Russian embassy in the United States said in a statement. Earlier, the U.S. Treasury Department announced that it has imposed sanctions on Chechenus uh, to reach special rapid response team along with five individuals, including three Russians, citing the Magnitsky Act. I don't know what the Magnitsky Act is, but certainly, you know, people can look that up. Uh, the U.S. sanctions against the special rapid response unit to wreck from the Chechen Republic reflect the intention either to complicate its international counterterrorism cooperation or the fear of its ability to operate in the Arctic. Moreover, these unconstructive decisions clearly run counter to a positive outlook of the recent Russia-U.S. talks in Sochi. These moves will be followed by reciprocal measures, the Russian embassy says. So that's a very short article um, and it did. It just came out today. It, it, yeah, it came out today. I was unaware of any talks that I know Trump said he wanted to talk, you know, to Russia. And I think Pompeo had went to Russia, but Keith, this kind of, this falls in line with them sanctioning the Iran's revolutionary guard, you know, where you're sanctioning actual uh, military units and bodies and, I don't, I really don't have an understanding on, you know, other than the propaganda value, you saying you sanction Iran's uh, revolutionary guard or you're uh, sanctioning this uh, terrorism task force called the Tarek Special Rapid Response Team um, by the Russians in Chechnya. And we know that, you know, they have had issues with, with uh, terrorism and what have you in in that region, and I should say Islamic terrorism, um, it is a thing. There are extremist Islamic groups, although I'm not an Islamophobe. Um, I, I, you know, I don't lump all people, I don't paint people with a broad brush, but they have had um, issues in Russia with Muslims, and it has resulted in some terrorist acts and what have you. What do you make of this, Keith? Let, let me back up a little bit. Okay. Uh, the Magnitsky Act is formerly known as the Russia and Madalvi Jackson Vanity Repeal. And what it says, it says uh, this was an act by Congress during uh, President Barack Obama 2012, and it intended to punish the Russian officials responsible for the death of a Russian tax accountant. So it says overall, it says since 2016, the bill which applies globally, authorizes the U.S. to sanction those who it sees as human rights offenders, freezing their assets, and banning them from entering the U.S. And so, I, I would say, Keith, do you think it's selectively enforced? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't see anything in this country that isn't selectively enforced. And and we could go forever in a day. They want to talk about the human uh, humanitarian uh, violations and all that all they want to, but you never see them taking up this stuff in, in Africa, which is where a lot of this stuff, you see the greatest humanitarian uh, uh, crimes and everything, but 
they never take up that fight. Well, what about Saudi they Arabia? Or they have a pardon me. What about Saudi Arabia? Well, even with Saudi Arabia, and my point is, they they take up the fight where they have an uh, another interest in. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's 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 they have an interest there, so they'll go in there and they'll claim it's for humanitarian purposes. Right. But if they don't have another interest outside of that, they don't care. Then that fault is never taken up. Or if human rights um, interests run counter to their national interests. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and all, everything they do has some kind of motive behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ulterior motives and what have you. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think this harms their, this is one of the things that has harmed their credibility uh, internationally. And the reason I mentioned Saudi Arabia is because I, I was in that country um, for about six months. Um, I was uh, based just outside of Riyadh. So I had an opportunity to, you know, um, walk amongst the people and it was um it was an interesting experience man they don't have freedom of religion there of course um if you're not when they give out the call to prayer which is three times a day uh if you are not uh prone on the ground you know no matter where you are uh they got what's called we call them the religious police walking around with bamboo canes and they'll beat you They'll beat you on the spot. Um, you know, they stone, they still stone people. They behead people. They were just in the news for, uh, all the beheadings that, that they had of, of people who politically disagree with them, you know? And so within the citizens that, you know, uh, speak out against, uh, the kingdom or the royal family, so to speak. So that's why I mentioned them, Keith. They are a known human rights abuser. Women don't even have equal rights there um they abuse a lot of their imported labor um so yeah that's the only reason i mentioned them um because like i said the united states government selectively uh picks and chooses who is going to apply sanctions on um under the guise of so-called humanitarian concerns or spreading democracy uh let's see next article uh let me pull this up now, I saw that Dave had posted this article a couple of times for the past shows, but we actually never did get to them. And we probably won't get to all the articles because I like to take a little bit more time, not saying the way I do it is right or the way anybody else does it is wrong. But um, let me find this article right here. Uh, I'm going to pull up both of these articles because they're related to Social Security. Um, we known for quite some time, um, I would say for decade or more that so they say that social security is running out of money. They're saying it. And then this also plays into their concerns about the birth rate and might in part besides religious fanaticism to a certain extent. Um, some people may be sincere, um, well, I know some people are sincere um, who are pro-life um, and don't want, you know, people to just be able to get abortions on demand. 
and what have you, but um, some others, I don't think that they're so sincere in their beliefs. And I think it also relates to their declining population. And when I say there, I'm talking specifically white people uh, whose population is in, in decline. And so how does that relate to Social Security? Well, Social Security is sort of like a Ponzi scheme. Right. So like, you know, the workers of today is paying into it and that's providing the benefits for the retirees who are drawing on Social Security or those who, you know, uh, file for disability and what have you. And I was reading an article the other day and it was saying, you know, that they are projecting that they don't have they're not there are not enough births in the United States to cover future retirees because it's all based on people working and paying tax social security taxes into this fund and and it's kind of like a ponzi scheme before i get into this article would you agree with any of that or do you have a different take uh pastor keith i agree with all of it however um the articles that i was reading and, and they've been wanting to do away with um the Social Security, uh, speaking primarily Republicans, for decades. You know, they want to remove all the social maps. However, I agree with what you say because at the time that it was brought about, you know, the dynamics were different. But from my reading, the Social Security account was fine. And they expected it to be fine for the next 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff that the Republicans were saying was simply not true at this point in time. Well, recently, and I think Dave talked about the other day, that they just raped the Social Security for massive amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is what they wanted to do. So basically, they're saying it's insolvent now, but it's insolvent because you've been stealing against it. Right, right. So this article comes from the Hill. It says Social Security just ran a nine trillion dollar deficit and nobody noticed. Well, I'm sure some people notice, um, but it's more accurate to say that most media, mainstream media outlets ignored it and didn't cover it. So, you know, that I'm pretty sure some people noticed it. It's just the people who noticed it didn't really uh, voice it. Uh, Social Security's annual trustees report came out recently and it shows Social Security ran a gigantic $9 trillion deficit between last year and this year. The system's long-term unfunded liability is now $43 trillion, up from $34 trillion last year. Funny. Nobody noticed. Did I miss a tweet from the president? I don't think so. What about the press? Did anyone see an article about Social Security's deficit exceeding the federal deficit by a factor of 11? Nope. The press covers on the books official federal debt, but it ignores off the books unofficial federal debt. The fact that one set of debt is on the books because of Congress' choice of words and another isn't, again, because of Congress's choice of words matters not. When it comes to economics, the press too often simply believes 
what is told. Uh, we may have a, a caller again. If y'all have any questions or comments about any other stuff we're talking about, jump in at any time. Uh, the number 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice to unmute yourself. And I see we have uh, um, Team Davis on the line. I'm not sure if that's Mrs. Davis or Mr. Davis, but one of them is on the line. Uh, welcome in to Tando Radio Show. What say you? It's always good to hear the voice of a friend, my brother. Uh, you know what? That, that Social Security fund has been raped for years. The original people who it was designed for was expanded on it so much during the late uh, 80s and 90s that it started including people it was intended for. Even to this day, there are people who have children with HDAD, as they say, or attention deficit disorder or whatever, who literally get compensation that that was not originally designed for. What we fail to realize is that a lot of those things are put in place so that we give the appearance as though the Social Security is literally running out of money, but right at the same time, they were stealing as much as they could, talking about, oh, we're going to borrow. Well, when you borrow, you pay back. Now, just think of this for a moment. Mm -hmm. If they pay back, what they borrowed, it would be a solvent organization. I just wanted to add that. Well, let me ask you this, Brother Davis. Now, this caught my eye from the article. It says, the press covers on the books official federal debt, but it ignores off the books unofficial federal debt. The fact that one set of debt is on the books because of Congress' choice of words and another isn't again because of Congress's choice of words. So, you know, they're talking about off the books. That that's kind of sounds illegal to me, man, or, or something. Hey, Scotty. Well, actually, it, it's more I'm than sorry, illegal. It, it's double dipping. You see, most corporations, they have what's called a public finance sheet, mm-hmm. and they have a private finance sheet. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of times you don't find out how deeply in debt they are mm. until they expose it. But now what they will do is they will go to the federal government and seek a handout, which amounts to welfare, and then they'll call that something like corporate restructuring or something. Or stimulus. If a person, absolutely. But if a person goes and they need money because of health care or whatever, (laughs) they want you to think that you're coming from a position of entitlement, like you didn't put your money in Social Security. Right, right. See, this system is designed to be completely deceptive to the people who don't understand or don't read. And if you think about it, that's the largest amount of people just putting the money in. Right. Well, thanks thanks for uh, your contribution, Brother Davis. At any time uh, you want to chime back in, just unmute yourself. You know how to unmute yourself. Uh, Keith, I had to mute you, bro, because we was getting background noise while Brother Davis was talking. So just kind of be cognizant of that. But you wanted to chime in? Okay. Yeah, and I apologize for that. Like I said, I'm not feeling a little under weather. And I wanted to make a comment, and I forgot, and I called. So I greatly apologize. I will be more kind. But while you were talking, you were talking about uh, the way that they use the choice of words. Mm-hmm. And I think when when you started reading about it, you said something about that. Read it again, Scotty. You said something about that they discovered a deficit or something like that. 
Uh, let me see. Social Security's annual trustees report came out recently, and it shows Social Security ran a gigantic $9 trillion deficit between last year and this year. The system's long-term unfunded liability is now $43 trillion, up from $34 trillion last year. Is that the part you're talking about? Yeah, and what I thought was interesting was I interpreted that differently than probably most people do. And I think that's one of the faults in, in the way that we communicate. It says when they ran that deficit, I think most people would naturally assume that at the course of a period of time, you know, that they started falling behind. I didn't look at it that way. I looked at that $9 trillion deficit that nobody noticed. And the reason why I think nobody noticed it because it was, a, it was almost like a one-time withdrawal type thing, hmm. you know? They just came in there and they took that $9 trillion for whatever event, for whatever reason, for whatever time. And, and again, I think that's the fault of our communications because when we talk about something, Social Security, whatever, it's always at the, the far extreme of whatever point that they're trying to make. You know, so that $9 trillion that they're talking about when did they notice that was gone? And my thing is, not to change the subject, have you seen what, what he, Trump just did with the uh, education budget? Um, I imagine he cut it. He cut it, and he cut it by massive margins. Is that money going to be moved to Social Security? I Well, he, they cut it. No, they that's not that's not what I'm asking you, Keith. It's kind of tongue in cheek. I'm saying this money that he is cutting from Social Security, just like they also took some money from the Pentagon. Not that you know the Pentagon needs any money because um, they don't do nothing but waste it. But what I'm saying is, okay, is he cutting the education budget to take care of some of this unfunded, quote-unquote, liability in Social Security, or is he going to do something else with it? My opinion is, if you look at almost everything he does, none of it is towards the good. But going back to the point that I was making was, the reason why they're cutting everything it's plain and simple what we've been talking about on this show. There is no money. Austerity. There is no money. Yeah. Austerity measures. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There is no money. And, and, you know, I was having a long conversation with somebody uh, just yesterday. They were mesmerized by the fact that these things that I was saying, and they're going like, surely this can't be. And I was telling them, the fact that, you know, the dollar is pretty much kaput. United States is on its last legs. And they're like, we haven't heard none of this. You know, so they said, well, when's the ball guard drop? There should be some signs. I said, the signs are all over the place. The signs are all this money missing out of Social Security. The signs is they massively cut the budget to the, to the defense uh, arena. The science is they're massively cutting all the money out of education. And these things aren't things that should be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, these are major, major things that this country needs to have to operate. And they're slashing them mm-hmm. in these type of measures. 
these are the science people. No. But it also goes back to what we're talking about. The United States is so unaware of what's in plain sight in front of them that they're just oblivious to all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, here's something, um, another article. This is from WallStreetWindow.com, and it, it's basically saying the same thing. Uh, according to the Social Security Administration's trustee report, the cost of maintaining this, and, and Keith, they're using that word, or, or was it uh, Brother Davis that, yeah, I think it was Brother Davis that mentioned how they try to propagandize it and call it in a, an entitlement program as if these people didn't work and, and pay taxes into this fund. So that's the word that they choose to use. The cost of maintaining this entitlement program will see the revenue it generates next year. The last time this happened was in 1982. Last year, Social Security received $1.003 trillion in income. I mean, how can you call that income? That's taxation. That's taxes. That's not income. I guess that, you know, from a government's point of view, they call it income, including $885 billion from the payroll tax. So, okay, there you go, the taxes. $83 billion in interest and $35 billion from taxing benefits. At the same time, it spent about $1 trillion. Um, $988.6 billion on benefits, $6.7 billion on administration, and $4.9 billion on retirement expenses. Now, again, um, my, my knowledge on finances is limited. I know how to balance a checkbook. I know how to write a check and all that good stuff. But, when you know, I just want to put out there at front, I am not an economist. And, you know, I'm trying to make sense of all of this, like probably, you know, most of you. But, Keith, I want to go back to something you said. Now, this is not to dispute or discount what you said about why it's running the deficit, like, you know, taking money from it and not putting it back or or what have you. But I, I think there are some other factors in addition to what you said. Again, you I'm looking at this, okay, what could have happened? That, you know, their liability increase and the income decrease. All right, I'm looking at the low birth rate Okay, low birth rate. And of course, you know, these little babies ain't going to go get a job next week or something. So maybe I shouldn't count them. But, you know, that's something that's figuring into future liabilities. But when you look at all the opioid deaths, that's dead people. Dead people can't pay taxes. Dead people can't work. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I, I think that that's playing um, a role into it as well and then the real unemployment rate not the one that they tell us when they say oh unemployment's down to 4.3 percent well that's leaving out the fact that some people have just given up and are no longer or they have i don't want to say aged out but they've reached their max benefits from unemployment insurance and and now they're off of the books and you know so it's making it look like they working, but they not working. So there's the on the books unemployment rate. And then there's the real unemployment rate. So I, I, I think this opioid quite cause a lot of people are dying, man. And that's less people. And then also when you figure into 
all of these costly wars. And when I say costly wars, I'm not just talking about the cost of war in terms of dollars and and paying for, you know, uh, uh, transporting troops and maintaining equipment and paying the troops themselves. But then you get, you have all of these casualties coming back from war. Again, we've been at war in Afghanistan for 20 years. Uh, How long we been in Iraq? Close to 20 years. Uh, And so, these people getting maimed and crippled and whatnot. Guess what? They have to draw on Social Security. And what I am anything I'm I'm saying making any sense, uh, uh, Pastor Keith? I think I think everything that you make uh, say making sense. However, and uh, and and again, ultimately, it turns out to be a policy stream because, unlike what I said, one of the things that that we're starting to look at. Scotty, is the fact that at this point in time, uh, the birth rate globally is decreasing. So one of of their concerns was if this continues on in the future, you're going to have major issues, like you say, because Social Security, you're going to have less people uh, contributing to a much greater, greater percentage of the population that's getting older. All these things take an effect. But and those are issues. But from the reading that I've done, those aren't the issues yet. Um, the issues is corruption, lying, deceit, and all that. And that, that here, here's what I mean by that. And again, I apologize because as I look at what this country is doing, has always done, um, it just gets a nasty, nastier for me. So let's bring up the thing that you brought out a little bit earlier when you talked about how how the Social Security came about and all of those things. Um, they were designed to cover a certain segment and people paid into those. But like it's one of the things that you talked about earlier was how bad it had gotten in the 80s and all that and uh, how you have uh, all these all this about the people that are um, unemployed and not looking for work and all of that. And it makes me so mad because we hear about that all the time. You know, uh, Ronald Reagan was one of the ones that made it the most famous with the welfare queens. And we hear about all these freeloaders are the systems that aren't working all that. And we hear about that 24 seven. But if you take all the money that is paid out to all those needs, it's a small fraction compared to the money that's paid out to well-to-do corporations. You know, if you look at corporate welfare, which we never hear about, it's many times more money than we send out for social welfare. I think uh, Exxon, they were paying Exxon so many billions of dollars every quarter for subsidies. Uh, 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 subsistence were, you know. Now, Exxon, of course, was profiting trillions of dollars every year. But yet the government's paying them out billions and billions of dollars for what? And that's not an isolated incident. Again, if you look at, if you look at corporate welfare in this country, which we never hear about, all we hear about is 
freeloaders and stuff like that. Well, well, we hear about it on Tando Radio Show because you pointed out the other day about the result of this China, uh, this economic war or trade war with China is going to result in uh, uh, Trump's white base in Midwest getting handouts, getting welfare. So you point them, you we we point them out, but your point is taken, Keith. Can I hear, brother? Uh, yes, I was going to uh, come 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 to you, uh, brother Davis. Keith, were you finished? Yes, go ahead, brother Davis. Okay, let me first of all let me start with the birth rate. The reason why the birth rate makes a difference because every time a birth is born, a certificate of birth is given. That certificate of birth has debt attached to it. So therefore, they could play in down the line. Social Security debt, right? Right, Brother Davis? Absolutely. Absolutely. But why does that make a difference? It makes a difference because as they juggle these books, which they're doing right now, they're paying off all of their friends. Now, here's the flip side. The flip side is that they're going to enact an infrastructure bill in the next six months to a year. That's going to put about another at least two to three million people to work instantly making good service jobs money. So they see that money coming back through the Social Security. And the sad part about it is those people who are getting those jobs, they're going to be looking at that as a windfall, and it'll be just before election time, and they're doing this in order to get Trump back in office. And once he's in office again, this he will not be able to run again. So therefore, he's either going to put us in a perpetual state of war, which we're in, because you could tell by the last budget that passed, had so many trillion dollars going to military machine, and that means that they're just making weapons. One, two, they dismantled all of the domestic programs, not just education, healthcare, the whole nine yards. But they're betting on the infrastructure bill, bringing enough people back to work to boost that whole uh, social security base, the tax base, up to the degree where they could say that they balanced the budget which they did not. But this is why they call it corporate takeover of America, because corporations don't have to answer to nobody, and they can present any story they want to to their shareholders as long as they give them a piece of the pie. Right, right. The taxpayers don't get a piece of the pie. You see what I'm saying? Right. So this is how it's it's a setback for anybody who really works because in reality, you're paying taxes, and then you're paying Social Security that actually they're telling you is just another tax for them to use your money. I just wanted to add that, brother. It, well, it's a, it, I want to thank you, Brother Davis, um, for enlightening me to some. Because I heard people say when you have a birth certificate, a child is born, it's debt attached to it. And I really didn't understand it until this conversation and looking at it in the context of Social Security liabilities and the and the fact that they're banking on, they're projecting we're going to have X amount of revenue coming in based on X amount of births in the future and what have you. And, and now with the decline in the birth rate, and then again, I'm going to keep talking about these opioid deaths and, and what have you, um, you know, that's throwing their projections out of whack and, and their ability. But I did not understand what people meant when they say when you're born, you know, um, there's debt, debt attached to that, to that birth certificate and what have you. But I understand it now. So thank you for that, Brother Davis. 
Another thing that I, I want to uh, point out, another element, of course, because every time I have an opportunity, I want to bring attention to the prison slaves in this country. But then you look at how much money we're spending to incarcerate people for nonviolent, victimless crimes and what have you, uh, people with mental illness who shouldn't be in prison but should be getting mental health care. Um, something that's never really talked about in this country. They'll talk about health care, but they won't talk about mental health care, which is not covered by Obamacare or, or Medicaid or anything else like that. Okay. But when you look at the U.S. having the world's largest prison slave population, that's people who's not paying Social Security. Now, I do want to point out that some people do have prison jobs, but that's not the majority of the people. And those people who do get prison jobs are having taxes taken out on them. And I would imagine Social Security tax. But the vast majority of the incarcerated, enslaved population is not paying into it. And I think we had to figure that into it as well. Um, Keith, did you have anything before we move to the next story? Yeah, I had a couple of things. Um, in light of what you were saying, like uh, with uh, the opioid things, I sent down an article the other day. Excuse me, I got to hold on. <clears throat> I sent down a, a, an article, and it, it reminded me of what you were talking about when you were talking about the opioid thing. Now, we know in this country, we have the most inefficient, most expensive um healthcare system in the organized world or in the modern world, wherever, however you want to put it. We also have, in this country, we have the most expensive um, childbirth procedure that's the most expensive in the world. What people don't realize is we also have the highest infant mortality rate. Yes, so we got the most medical procedures and the highest mortality rate. But why, again, why I bring this up is you were talking about the fact that uh, the opioid thing and how this country operates. And, and I get mad every time I think about this country. So what this article says is 193 Republicans vote against making prescription drugs cheaper. Now, they just out with the whole article not too long ago and what they were talking about was this massive massive they see they see this uh, lawsuit to be larger than the cigarette lawsuits uh, a couple of decades ago uh, because uh, how these non-prescription companies and drug companies and big pharma has uh, cornered the market and uh, fixed the prices and all these things one of the hottest topics, again, is the health care and drugs in this country. But yet, in spite of that knowledge that everybody knows, you got 183 Republicans voting against making prescription drugs cheaper. So when you start talking mm-hmm. about uh, what's going on with Social Security, what's going on with, with the opiates and, and all these needs of the mentally, and then you brought up the fact of the prisons, they all go hand in hand in this. Yes. They, the prison system, the people that brought that about and is privately owned, they are getting flat out 
paid. They don't care about the masses. If you look at these Republicans, everybody knows that the cost of this medicine and all of that is astronomically candy. But guess what? All these Republicans, they have their own health care system. Right, and it's a lot so better than ours. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking at in all these systems is, you know what? We will make you the tar on the roads that we drive on. We mm-hmm. don't care because our ride is smoother because of you. And we don't care how many of you it takes for that to happen. The bottom line is we're getting paid. Right. This is all good for us. And you know what, Keith? One of the things we didn't mention was Trump's tax cuts for the wealthy, which ended up giving them a huge windfall. But more working class people ended up paying more in taxes. Way more in taxes. And, and, and see, the, the, the thing is so ridiculous anyway, and a lot of people, they don't think about this. Look, when you look at your uber rich, guess what? They're not spending any money. They don't, all the money that they wanted to spend, they're spending it because they could afford it in the first place. So they're sitting on mountains of money. They're Mm. not going to spend it. Mountains of cash. They're not going to spend it. Yes, mountains of cash. They're not going to spend it. They don't have no need to spend it because everything that they want, they buy anyway. They can afford it. So when you give a huge tax cut to them, all that money does is it goes back into the coffins and, and their stockpiles and it sits there with all the rest of the money. Right, right. Whereas when you tax the poor, guess what? That money is in the community and it's spent even before they get it because the people are already in debt. Mm. So if you look at these tax cuts, it goes right back to the same thing. These people couldn't care less. But by the same token, you still got all these farmers. You still got all these, all these everyday Joes talking about, you know what? We love our president. Mm. We will follow him anywhere. But they're the same ones that can't go to the hospital, can't get treated, can't get no dentist work done, struggling to make decisions on what do they want to do. Do they want to eat with their prescriptions? But you got these people in mass talking about, we love our president. I sure vote him right back in office again. Cult of personality. He, ha- he, he is a master of the cult of personality. Right. So um, if there's nothing else on Social Security and, you know, in the spirit of Financial Friday, this is why it is important what Dave talks about all the time. Taking the cash, the debt notes that you have, and converting as much as you can into real money to buffer yourself. Um, because, you know, the dollar, the dollar, um, could, um, you know, get replaced as the world, uh, currency in trade, and which is the only thing that gives us its value. And, you know, we could be hurting. I mean, we might be hurting here 
fairly soon because of all these sanctions. I mean, how many how many countries does the United States have sanctions on? And to think that these countries are not going to retaliate and Dave has, you know, covered the BRIC nations and setting up alternative means of of um of transmitting um, you know, uh currency for resources and what have you. And so, you know, we need to be thinking along the same vein. We need to be be prepared. Um, as I mentioned that, it comes to my mind, we talked about yesterday um, about uh, the tariffs on Chinese goods. And I came across, and I think I mentioned yesterday that probably when you're looking in the retail stores, you're looking at 50% or more of uh, products being made in China. And this is going to cause our prices to go up, um, you know, consumer prices to go up. So I came across an article uh, after the show where it said Walmart was saying it may have to raise its prices. Now, Walmart is below most of its goods. Um, excuse me. Its goods it imports from China is below 50 percent, but it's right close to it at around 43 percent. But then when it started talking about different types of products like luggage, hats, gloves, shoes, and all. Some of these companies rely on on, on the Chinese up to 70, 70 uh, over 70% of those products are coming from China. Um, Jordans come to mind, you know, and the reason Jordans come to mind because I know where Jordans are made. They're not, there's not a factory in the United States that's making Jordans or what have you, um, they are being made in China. They're being made in Vietnam. How do I know? Because I had contacts when I was in the textile industry working in the sourcing department. I developed contacts in China. And and then when I left that job, I took my, my Rolodex with me, so to speak, and I was able to uh, get me some Jordans <laughs> for about $12 a pair so I could sell them on the street. You know what I'm saying? I don't do that anymore. But, you know, at that time, I, I needed extra income and I needed a hustle. And um, that's what I did. So that that's how I kind of know, you know, how uh, they're dependent on China and how this trade war with China is going to harm us. It's really going to harm the everyday consumer. Um, all right. So let me move on. Um, hey, Scotty. Yes, yeah, sure. Go Scotty. ahead. Go ahead, Keith. In, in light of what you're saying, look, this country years ago, we moved from an industrial country to a service. You mean manufacturing? Uh, manufacturing would be more accurate, yeah. would you say? Okay. Exactly. So the fact of the matter is, at one time, you know, if you go back in history, there was a big discussion about what they used to call isolationism. And that was we were apart from everybody. We were across the waters. And really, we were in a position where we could probably be, for the most part, self-sufficient and maintain ourselves. Well, that's long gone. We, like you said, rely on other countries for everything now. And it's going to be a huge awakening. When, when just like what you said, we have sanctions on everybody, and we know how effective those sanctions are. People are starving in those countries because of sanctions. 
Well, again, we have to understand now the shoe is about to be on the other foot full fold because now all those countries are about to sanction or are in the process of sanctioning the United States. And what makes it even worse is the United States is going to have no country to come to their aid. Right. It's about to be ugly beyond comprehension. We, you're about to literally see, start, well, you start, as a matter of fact, I just read an article uh, just, I think it was this morning when it was saying that they've noticed that the homeless rate has skyrocketed in California. Mm -hmm. Well, that's only a pittance of what is about to happen. Mm. Literally, you're going to have people. I, I, I read this other court uh, article, and it said that more than a quarter of the children in America go hungry. That's true. You know, and, and then also when you mention the mortality rate, you know, Alabama has been in the news a lot because of um, its new abortion laws and. One of the things that somebody pointed out, though, is that Alabama has one of the worst infant mortality rates, as well as, uh, uh, you know, mothers not receiving the proper care that they that they need. So, you know, that goes to the old saying. And, and, and again, in case y'all don't know, I'm pro-choice, but I choose life. That's the way that's the way I put it. I would never participate in a, a abortion um, or anything like that. That's my personal uh, preference or my per personal choice. I choose life. I choose life. Um, but at the same time, I'm not God. I'm not these women's creator. And, you know, um, I don't have any power, nor shall I want power over their bodies. And what they're going to have to answer for what they do. People who are involved in stuff like that, going for those that believe in a higher power, um, I believe in God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. Um, and and my faith tells me that you know you're gonna have to give an account account for these things. But that did come up was the high infant mortality rate in Alabama and how Republicans want to protect the unborn. But once you come into this world, not so much. Yeah, I read a, I read another article along the same lines that you were talking about. And uh, what this article was basically was saying, it says, okay, so you're protecting all these babies, but in a society where you're, you're saying you're protecting all these babies. They Unborn babies. That you pardon me? Unborn babies. Unborn babies, yeah. And they said the picture is all of a sudden you're going to have these happy, bouncy babies all over the place that you wouldn't have had. But they said the fact of the matter is you're going to find that you're going to have a lot of dead women. And uh, what they were talking about was what happened to the number of women that died before they brought about the medical procedures of abortions where they sanitized and cleaned and medical personnel and all of that. Plus the fact that, like you said, they say that they're pro-life, but the death skyrockets greatly when there's no legal, uh, 
you know, their, their arguments are so asinine because, for instance, they, they talk about the fact that if you put uh, sex education in school, if you give uh, uh, sexual pre- prevention measures and all of that, right. all that stuff goes down greatly, yes. greatly. But guess what? They deny all of that, too. So their arguments make no sense whatsoever. And then on top of that, when you look at this, all these decisions are being made by old white men. Mm. No, women. no, wait a minute now, Keith. The Alabama governor is a white woman. You're absolutely right. But she is a great, great, great exception. And she probably did it because of what kind of political pressure. Well, she's a Republican. She's a Republican. Uh, yeah, give me just a second. We're overdue for our station identification break, and then we'll come uh, right to you, Brother Davis. You're listening to Tando Radio Show on the Black Talk Radio Network. Um, in case you haven't noticed, we broadcast at a new time. Uh, instead of coming on at 11 a.m. Eastern, we come on at 9 a.m. Eastern, 9 to 11. And we're going to take a quick station identification and we'll be right back. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. And welcome back to Tando Radio Show. My name is Scotty Reed sitting in um, along with uh, Pastor Keith. Uh, hosting today. Dave will be back hopefully uh, Monday, but he has some business to take care of today and I'm gladly, you know, sitting in for him. Uh, let's go back to Brother Davis. Brother Davis, you wanted to add? Brother Davis, you still there? Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you now. Okay. Let me let me put back the precious metals and work way my way forward. One of the reasons why Dave is encouraging people to get precious metals is because if you get precious metals now, when the dollar drops, that's what's going to be a transfer of control. Transfer of control will be those who are able now to set the price of precious metals because the United States right now is keeping the price down for a reason. And the reason was because the more oil that they pump, the lower the, the gold price was, the more steady they could keep their oil price. That's what's called... Uh, corporate constructing, okay? So that means that as long as the U.S. dollar was the petrodollar, it was contested, and it keeps the But when China, who will be the next to be able to control the precious metals price, get it, they have a lot of precious metals. So what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to bump those prices up. So the reason why Dave is telling you now to go in that direction is because when they do bump them prices up, make more money. Now, to give you a quick uh, synopsis to what I'm talking about, if you stick $100,000 in a bank, and you, well, that might pay you two, one and a half, two percent okay? But if you put the $100,000 in the precious metals and say you're buying them at $13 an ounce, and in a year, that year, you control the price on them like that. When it goes to the next level, therefore, Another country comes in, they have a lot of that gold and that silver. What do you think they would do in order to boost their ranking and financial control on the world? They will bump those prices up. So, therefore, 
the far end than any other financial institution can offer you here in America. Now, that's on precious metals. On the uh, children in America that are dying, the birth rate is so low. The reason why the birth rate was low was by design. Now, the reason why it was by design was because we have what's called the Guidestones, which are the corporate that runs America and the world to some degree. I won't say totally, but the reason why I say it to some degree is because you have uh, countries like Russia and China who want to get in on the leverage of world control. So therefore, you can see this clash is definitely coming. When it comes to the birth rate, the reason why the United States wanted to be able to the millionaires and those Bill Gates of the world saying that the world was out the population was outgrowing the world's supply, which is an innate lie. And the ecological balance since the beginning of time. A certain amount of people die every year. And it's been consistent as long as records have been able to be. But when the, uh, when the eugenics came in and said that we're going to bring in a racist policy program one of the ways they were leveraging the control of the black population was with Planned Parenthood. And that's why Planned Parenthood are all over black communities. You don't see them in white communities. And the reason why is because they didn't want white people to come to those. And no money, that's why our money plays an important role. Who had no money to have access. The, uh, the problem they got is that as society begins to evolve, more white teenagers were being promiscuous because of the media programs that are running. They thought that it would be effective to black people. But you could literally see how hip-hop has been hijacked by white people. Well, those same white people have children, too. And those children were operating in the same practices. So before you know it, they were going to these Planned Parenthoods in groves. And that's how... They think they could repair the loss of the low birth rate by enacting a abortion policy that will literally dismantle Roe versus Wade. But this policy won't. It doesn't have the ability to. There are several policies out there, like the one in Louisiana that they're trying to push through. That has an excellent chance because it gives medical an option. See, in Alabama, there is no option. It's across the board. I don't care if you get pregnant by a rape or incest or whatever, you can't have an abortion. But in Louisiana, they have what's called medical options, which actually leave those areas open for there to be an opinion, an assessment, and an alternative to abortion itself. And last but not least, I want to point out that we fail to realize two things. One, that we are responsible for ourselves. Why? Because the system has subdued us into believing that it's going to be there for us. The government that we have today is not the government that our grandfathers had. Eisenhower spoke in the 50s, 1950, in an address to the nation that we had to be aware of the prison industrial complex. You mean the military industrial complex? Right. Well, the military, I agree. I'm my mistake. I've got so many things coming to my head. The military industrial complex. But what he was trying to tell us what, what he was pointing out was the corporate control of the military-industrial complex. Right. Greed is because greed is a perpetual disease. And this is what Eisenhower was telling us, but we didn't see it. 
And the perfect example was in 1973, when Jimmy Carter was in office, and the Iran thing was going on over there, and they cut the oil flow to the United States. That was the perfect time to enact the policies that would allow auto industry to move forward on electric cars. But the energy cartel was so powerful at the time, mm -hmm. they were caught up in the disease of greed and would not let these plans move forward. Mm -hmm. Now, Trump's trying to put these hands on China. Why? Because China has seven electric car models they want to put on the U.S. market. And the United States does not have a, what they call a production level, electric car right now that they could put out in the same or similar numbers. So what he's trying to do is control it on one end so it's not overtaking the country. Why? Because then people will start buying electric cars. Think about it. If you could buy an electric car and not have to fuel it and plug it in at night, would you? And these people know these sort of things. But they're not going to tell you the story straight out. It's through my due diligence that I'm beginning to open the door to understand some of the reasons why Trump is doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Like right now, we have no business over there messing with Iran, but we ain't got no business in Venezuela either. But there is so much greed caught up in the corporate process that you realize that Venezuela only represents one corporation here in the United States, which is the Koch brothers, because they need that oil. Other than that, there's no reason for them to go down there and not make a black administrator in power. They don't, because the, the administration down there identifies with being uh, African descendants, and they don't like that, because mm. that gives them less control. And that's why this other guy that they're pointing, in, pointing at, he's educated in the United States, he fits into the white realm, light skin and all of that, because these light, uh, these skin diplomacy of what's called the imported product. Mm. You know, we'll... Product that America we're going to get into a couple of articles dealing with some of the stuff uh, that you just talked about um, with Iran. Um, I think I also saw some articles on Venezuela, um, but um, I see we got a, another caller. Uh, were, were you? Were you? Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, let's see. Let's go to six oh nine. I think that's Brother Ross. Uh, out of the New you Jersey right. area. Hey, brother Scotty, how you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm doing the best I can. Wonderful, man. Glad to hear your voice. It's good to talk to you. It's been a little while. I hope everything is good with you and your family. Um, same to you, Pastor Keith, um, uh, Brother Davis, Sister Davis. I love all of you guys. Uh, brother Dave, I just talked to him last night, and he kind of schooled me to the shift in time because I've been looking for y'all <laughs> like weeks, and I've been late. So um, I wanted to touch on the abortion issue because I think it's very important for people to understand like the the history of it. Oh, well, let me let let me. You just reminded me of something, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but let me let me point out a couple of facts here um, concerning abortion. Abortion before Alabama passed this law, Louisiana passed this law, or what was already in decline. It was already less women were and girls. And when I say girls, I'm talking about eight, uh, 17 and under, um, you know, not recognized as adults uh, legally, um, but it was in decline. And the reason it was in decline was because of more effective birth control measures. 
and what have you. And that kind of goes to what Keith was saying. And this is how I personally would would approach it if, you know, I was in charge is that, like he said, the Republicans don't want you to have sex education. They don't want you to have, you know, education on contraceptives and what have you. They just want you to have the baby. They just want you to have the baby. And after the baby born, you're pretty much on your own. Uh, um, um, but I do want to point out that abortion in the United States was on the decline. And in terms of birth rates, um, non-white people birth rates are lower, are, are lower, but they're higher than the white birth rate. So I just wanted to add that. Uh, go ahead, Brother Ross. Oh, no problem. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, because uh, uh, just before I get into it, the first thing to look at, especially with black people in particular, is this is not about saving any other babies but white babies because they murder black babies every day. They shoot us down in the street like dogs. So it really has nothing to do with non-white children. This is specifically geared towards saving white life and trying to, like you said, perpetuate uh birth rates past that, that negative birth rate so they can uh, feel comfortable with their future survival. Now, if if anyone has ever seen a documentary called Ma'afa 21, they give a really great, comprehensive, well-researched and documented history of the origin of abortion, of abortion clinics, Planned Parenthood in the United States. Now, the origin of this was in, in you know, the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, there were epidemic rates of white females that were having babies out of wedlock. And back then, the culture was just, if you weren't married, you you know, you were really looked down upon. You would shame your entire family if you were not, because of the, the Christian uh, theology um, that they claimed to live by anyway. Um, if you had a child out of wedlock, and especially as a teenager, you would literally just embarrass your family. Um, so a lot of the abortions, they used to have what they call um, back alley abortions where girls would shove coat hangers in, in their vaginas trying to pull the baby out and doing all kinds of really heinous uh, body-destroying things, hoping to kill the baby so that they would not embarrass their families and potentially get kicked out. Um, and what happened was this was the origin of a lot. And, and at that time, and they tell you in the documentary, there was practically zero out-of-wedlock births in the black community. It was all white females that this was really um, the issue with, and it was an epidemic. So they created these abortions so that white girls could have a safe way of um, getting rid of, quote-unquote, their child without actually killing themselves. And once they did so, then they started promoting it to the black community and started building these Planned Parenthood sites all over the black community because it then became warfare against black people. And as they these clinics went into the black community, white people started to change their sexual habits and actually started having, or less of them started having children out of wedlock, and then more black people started having children out of wedlock and were going through this abortion process because most of the time they couldn't afford the child and things of that nature, and then they were promoting it in our communities. So the warfare on the black fetus, the, the, there was a pastor in the film that called it womb lynching, because it's such an epidemic uh, now, an epidemic of just murder of black children, and they even had uh, uh, audio of rich white people calling into Planned Parenthood and specifically donating money to them to kill black babies, and you can hear them in their own words. I don't want my white baby 
having to compete with a black child. So I want this donation to go specifically towards killing a black baby. And they just had bunches and bunches of them, but they played a few um, actual audios so people could hear that these white people were literally donating money to kill black babies. And now we're at a point, like you said, with the negative birth rate, that they're trying to reverse this process. And like you also said, um, you, you have better effective uh, contraceptive methods, so abortion started to go down. And another thing that this made me think about was uh, Dr. Kamal Kamban said something that really um, touched me deep many years ago, and I believe it was on the cows. He said, um, because we, we were talking about when I was coming up, there was an epidemic of teenage births in the black community. You have very young people, young black people, giving children, giving birth to children. And it was a really, really big issue. And what this is not something I heard back then, but I heard it, like I said, on the cows as an adult, and it really made me think. And he said, in the animal kingdom, you find that when a specific species is on the verge of extinction, that they start to have children earlier out of fear for not being able to perpetuate their genetic material due to early death. And he said, when you're looking at the epidemic teenage birth rates of black children, it's the same thing. They know that this system is designed to kill them at a young age, so it's almost like, let's get this baby out there because I might not make it to 25 or 30 to be an adult and, and have a viable life and have a child. So that it, And it's not even conscious. It's not a conscious thing where they're thinking that way. It's almost like a DNA thing, of a, a, a black version of genetic annihilation. Okay, they're killing us at, at 12, Tamir Rice. They're killing us at, what, 15, 16, um, what's, what's the brother's name in Florida, the young brother that was killed by George Zimmerman. All of these things were happening. Trayvon so it's Martin. like a subconscious drive. Yes, thank, Trayvon Martin, thank you. It's almost like a subconscious drive to perpetuate your genetic material with the, with the subconscious understanding that you may not make it to an old age. So th this, uh, this abortion thing is really, really deep when you go into its history and you understand that first it was to quell epidemic uh, white out of out of wedlock birthing, then they perpetuated to black people because it was warfare on, on black fetuses. They didn't want more black people in the country. And now it's going back to, okay, we have a negative birth rate. We need to save these white babies. So we're going to make these idiosyncratic laws where even if a woman is raped, she has to have a child or leave the state to go get an abortion. So, and again, I, you know, it's just a, a sick, self-fulfilling prophecy. But once you, you get to the origin, I just implore everybody, watch that documentary, My Alpha 21, because it's extremely well documented and it gives the history in such a comprehensive manner. And you can see the psychopathology of Margaret Sanger. Um, her connections direct to direct connections with the Ku Klux Klan and other racist and eugenics organizations and how this has played out into today. And now they even make massive amounts of money off of our aborted babies. They really do. If you study the, the value of a black body, I mean, every part of the black human body is used. They even put it in food items. So we, some people are eating babies and have no concept of this. When women get certain uh, skincare and hair care products, they have the human baby products, placenta, and you'll see it in, on the actual list of ingredients because they're using these things, and a lot of these things come from black children that have been aborted. So with that, I just wanted to give that little bit tidbit of history. I hope that it um, helps enhance the conversation and the history and just implore people. I think you can find my Alpha 21 for free on YouTube. I ended up getting that they were giving it out for free years ago. 
um, on DVD. So I have one, but I know that they do have it for free on YouTube. It'll just really give you a great um, historical treatise on, on the history of abortion in this country and the implications for, for white people and the implications for black people and why it was perpetuated in all of these Planned Parenthood centers are specifically in black neighborhoods. You don't find them in white neighborhoods. And with that, I'll mute myself. Good brothers. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ross, uh, for your contribution. We're going to change gears, and we talked about this a lot this week, but, um, you know, just the, the warmongering of the Trump administration. And I'm not just going to put it on the Trump administration because you have establishment Democrats who are, who are all about that warmongering themselves. They about that life too. Um, you know, uh, Joe Biden, you look at, you know, his votes to, uh, go into Iraq based on lies or what have you. So right now, you know, I, I can't put my finger on it either way. Trump is sending mixed signals, which could be on purpose. I, I have to acknowledge that. But they're trying to draw uh, the U.S. military into a war with Iran, which will be devastating. And and I found some interesting information yesterday about a a um, exercise, war games they were playing, simulating uh, a war with Iran. And I saw that one of the articles Dave shared today also had that same information uh, in it. And, but first, let, let me go to this one. Saudis are blaming Iran for drone attack amid calls for U.S. strikes. This is coming to you from the Associated Press, APNews.com. Uh, Saudi Arabia accused Tehran of being behind a drone strike that shut down the key oil pipeline in the kingdom. In a newspaper close to the palace called for Washington to launch surgical strikes on Iran, raising the specter of escalating tensions as the U.S. boosts its military presence in the Persian Gulf. Concerns about possible conflict have flared after the U.S. dispatched warships and bombers to the region to counter an alleged but unspecified threat from Iran. There also have been allegations that four oil tankers were sabotaged Sunday off the coast of the United Arab Emirates. And Iran-aligned rebels in Yemen claim responsibility for Tuesday's attack on the Saudi pipeline. Um, so it, it goes on and it, it just talks about, you know, Syria and some of the moves by Donald Trump to withdraw the U.S. from the 2015 nuclear accord between Iran and the world powers and imposing these wide reaching sanctions. Again, we heard uh, Bolton on, on a recorded call talking, uh, threatening Iran, telling them that we'll starve your people. Uh, but but this is what this is what um, really struck out to me in this article it's saying that Saudi Arabian newspapers are calling on the US to launch strikes against Iran now I'm saying to myself why you want the US to do it why don't you do it why don't they if you saying that they did this to you and you think the appropriate response is a surgical military strike then why don't you do it? Why do you, why you want the U.S. to do it? Why don't you send your, because they got a lot of weaponry. They buy most of their weapons from uh, the U.S. I think Donald Trump uh, recently approved a huge military package to Saudi Arabia. 
But you know what? You know why they calling on the U.S. to do it and not doing it themselves? Because they don't want their people to die. They want you to die. They want our children to die. They want our family members to die. Okay. And again, I don't even, I don't believe this uh, because, you know, you got a general based in Iraq who is uh, disputing these uh, uh, reports that, that you got these Iranian aligned militias in, in Iraq who are moving rockets close to U.S. bases and what have you. And when they say Iranian-backed militias, you know, that's, again, that's a play on words. These are Iraqi militias. These are, you know, they may be Shias, and their alignment is with Iran based on cultural and religious uh, 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 commonalities that they share. But these aren't Iranian militias. These are Iraqi militias. Okay, now, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia is also killing a lot of people with help from the U.S. And the, and the Congress tried to um, withdraw U.S. aid to the Saudis for their unjust war against the Yemenis, where they're saying that it's one of the worst humanitarian crises on the planet at this present moment uh, with children and what have you starving with lack of access to medical care and and the products you need to uh, provide medical care. So, you know, the Saudis are running a propaganda campaign to get the United States to attack Iran because uh, they don't want to put their people lives on the line. All right. So um, anyway, moving on. Uh, and then again, you know, like hey, Dave, Scotty, yeah, Scotty. yeah, go Scotty. ahead, Keith. Before you move on, real quick, uh, listen to what you said. What's what's different between that and what Israel's doing? Isn't Israel basically doing the same thing? They want to make all these attacks. Now they do their little dirt, but basically, uh, what they do is they try to use the United States to. To buffer what they do, or to do what they're they're not going to do, mm-hmm. and and you know basically use the United States as a big patsy to cover up their motives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this fake intelligence um, number of reports I've read, they're attributing it to Mossad. This fake intelligence. So um, this, I'm not really Brother moving. Scotty. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry for interjecting. I wanted to ask you something. Do you think that beyond the fact of because Saudi Arabia has literally decimated Yemen and they're calling for like, I think another um, 18 plus. I posted an article like like a month ago on it. They've posted like 18 million people are said to die by the end of this year alone based on the Saudis actions in Yemen. So, you know, that they're militarily capable of defending themselves. Yes. I'm also thinking about something that Dave talks about a lot is the fact that when everything collapses, the U.S. is going to be held accountable for its behavior around the world, like Germany was after World War II. And they're going to have to pay reparations to different countries and things of that nature. So do you think maybe that Saudi Arabia is pushing them to do it so that they don't have to gain get the repercussions for this? Because Saudi Arabia is also looking at major war crimes um, issues with the things they're doing in Yemen. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, well, America has enough blood on its hands. Let's let them do the work for us, and then they'll get the blame for it. So once the economy collapses, 
they'll be the ones that will be left holding the bags, quote-unquote, proverbially, once uh, everything shifts as far as the economy and people are starting to be held in account for the actions of the United States around the world. Is that something that's that's, uh, plausible to you as well? Yes, it, 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 it sounds plausible, but I think it has more to do with them not wanting to spend blood in their own treasure on a war and will simply just allow, you know, American troops uh, to die and the U.S. taxpayers foot the bill. Makes sense. Now, this next article comes to you from Russia Insider and it has some information from, um, it's sharing the same information that I read from another article called, I think it's called The Week, um, where this person was citing um, this war games they had in the early 2000s and and it, I mean this kind of blew my mind and it kind of speaks to when I tell you I told my daughters and, I, and, and please understand I'm risking arrest by saying this but I'm going to say it don't join the US military unless you want to be cannon fodder because these people don't give a darn about you they don't even pay troops. You know, you got U.S. troops that's on food stamps and what have you, okay, living in poverty and what have you. So they don't care about you, the everyday person, the everyday Joe, because like Dave says, you know, they start wars that they don't fight. All right, so it goes, this comes to uh, from Russian Insider, and it's talking about lunatic uh, Bolton, talking about, the mustache, lunatic Bolton's war with Iran will only benefit China and Russia, and then they put in quotations, and Israel. And that kind of plays into something that, you know, that Ross was saying, you know, about Saudi Arabia. Could it be that they just want us to be the patsy to take the fall and, and owe the reparations or whatnot? But I would think, though, that the world knows who's aligned with the U.S. and, and helping them do these things and that they would uh, do the same in kind, that they would be the U.S.'s co-defendants and what have you. So it goes on to say, the scaremongering about an attack on Iran continues. Bolton must be laughing his ass off how easy he can play the issue based on nothing. He simply counters any debunking of the alleged threat from Iran by upping the ante. Yesterday, a British general in Iraq denied that any such threat exists in the area of his responsibility. No, there's been no increased threat from Iranian-backed forces in Iraq and Syria. Major General Christopher Gilka, Deputy Commander of Operations Inherent Resolve, the coalition responsible for counterterrorism operations against ISIS in Iraq and Syria. He said this in a video briefing, according to The Guardian. Today, Bolton countered that by again raising the noise level around the imaginary threat. The U.S. Embassy in Iraq says the State Department has ordered all non-essential, non-emergency government staff to leave the country right away amid escalating tensions with Iran. Bolton is, for now, achieving the results he wants. He, he systematically fills the public space with talk about a non-existing threat from Iran. If that threat is established in a public mind by its constant repetition it will be used for the usual false flag incident to justify uh, launching a war on Iran. Now, let me go on to uh, uh, 
this part right here. Um, but I do want to talk about how they're saying this would benefit China and Russia. But let me get to this part right here. Newsweek now says that, um, okay, no, that's not it. Where is the one about the war games that they had? Okay, here it is. It says, Iran missiles can hit any country in the Middle East that hosts U.S. forces. It can target Saudi desalination plants. Um, what they are talking about, and I saw these plants uh, while I was in country. Um, they don't have they don't have very much fresh water in Saudi Arabia, so they had to pull their water from the sea, which is salt water, and so they have these desalination, which removes the salt from the water. So that's what it, that's what a desalination plant is for those that didn't know. So it said it can target Saudi desalination plants, um, UAE refineries and various oil shipping points. Energy prices would go through the roof. The recent incidents near the UAE port uh, for Jaira and the attack on the Saudi East West pipelines were likely not caused by Iran, but they give a minor taste of what Iran's asymmetric capabilities could achieve depending and this is the part right here again i'm telling you they're telling you this shows you i'm talking to any u.s troops that may be listening right now they don't give a damn about you they don't give a damn about your life and this is proof of that the Pentagon officials should reread their briefings on the Millennium Challenge exercise, which simulated a U.S. attack on Iran. They divided them up into blue forces, the U.S., and Iran was the red forces. Again, these are this is a military exercise conducted by the United States military. I, I've actually been in a couple of these myself. At the start of MCO2 to fulfill the force entry requirement, Blue issued red and eight point ultimatum again. Blue is the United States. Saudi, uh, excuse me, Iran is the red, red team. So the United States issued an eight point ultimatum of which the final point was surrender. Red team, that's again the people who are, 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 are pretending to be the Iranians. The red team leader, Van Ripper, knew his country's political leadership could not accept this, which he believed would lead the blue forces to directly intervene. Since the George W. Bush administration had announced the preemption doctrine, remember when they were saying that the U.S. has a right to preemptively uh, uh, strike targets, even though, you know, these targets have not attacked anyone or done anything to anyone, we're, we're going to make sure you never had an opportunity to. Uh, so Van Ripper, this is the, the U.S. commander who's, who's, uh, um, you know, uh, commanding the Iranian forces for the, for this exercise. He decided that as soon as a U.S. Navy carrier battle group steamed into the Gulf, he would preempt the preemptors and strike first. Once U.S. forces were within range, Van Ripper's forces unleashed a barrage of missiles from ground-based launchers, commercial ships, and planes flying low and without radio communications to reduce their radar signature. Simultaneously, swarms of speedboats, now see, I didn't even read this. 
until yesterday after Tando Radio Show, but I had mentioned this about uh, the USS Cole, how they blew a hole in, in the USS Cole and they had to limp back to a uh, U.S. port uh, with a speedboat loaded with explosives. So it says that in this simulation that they also launched swarms of speedboats loaded with explosives launched kamikaze attacks. The carrier battle group's Aegis radar system, which tracks in attempts to intercept incoming missiles, was quickly overwhelmed. And 19 U.S. ships were sunk, including the carrier, several cruisers, and five amphibious ships. The whole thing was over in five and maybe ten minutes, Van Ripper said. Now, see, they have left, Russia Insider has left out a very pertinent pound in a part. And if y'all bear with me, I'm going to pull up the article from Newsweek because I posted it in BTR Community uh, yesterday. That's btrcommunity.com, the social media platform that we set up for listeners of uh, Black Talk Radio. So bear with me as I pull that up. But when I read this next section, now, y'all see what the outcome was from their own simulation. Thousands, thousands, because one carrier holds upwards of 5,000 people. So thousands, thousands of U.S. troops, and of course these are Navy, mostly Navy personnel, would be killed. So let me tell you what they did once this guy did that. It's called War, the name of the article is War with Iran would be as illegal as idiotic. And this comes from theweek.com, not Newsweek, uh, or maybe Newsweek also published an uh, excerpt uh, uh, from this. But let me tell you what this general um, or, the, or the commander, I don't know what his actual rank was, but the commander of the uh, of, of Iranian forces, you know, again, this is a war game. And so this is what, what he said. Let me... Um, let me uh, find it. Okay. Uh, in, okay. It says naturally. Okay. All right. Now it talks about the part I just told you, uh, the scenario where, you know, the simulation, all of these, all of these ships from the U.S. Navy got sunk. sunk. It says their Navy has few, talking about Iran, conventional ships, but swarms of small, heavily armed, fast attack boats, mines, many submarines, and disguised civilian ships. U.S. ships would no doubt be able to pick off many of them, but it would only take a few uh, torpedo hits to sink even the largest vessels. The American military clearly has a bad case of imperial arrogance. Americans in general have become used to easily steamrolling conventional forces and only suffering relative few combat deaths even in counterinsurgency wars. But if Iran were to sink just the carrier flagship in the strike group, over 6,000 sailors and airmen could be killed. That's nearly a quarter more U.S. military personnel that have died in the entire Iraq war and it could easily be far far worse many times that that number wait a minute where is the part where the guy says that okay here it is naturally after they got the results after this guy General Paul K. Van Ripper launched his surprise attack or his preemptive strike against the U.S. military or, or uh, U.S. contingency 
it said the top brass responded by restarting the exercise and granting cheat codes to the American side so they could not lose. Ripper, again, this this is a U.S. general. He quit in the middle of the exercise and and later commented that it simply became a scripted exercise. They had a predetermined end and they scripted the exercise to that end. That tells me they don't, that you are expendable. You in the U.S. military, you expendable. You're cannon fodder. Okay, here you are supposed to be conducting a, 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 real life exercise to determine what the outcome could possibly be if you attack Iran and instead of you coming up, okay, you got that scenario where all you lost all these ships, you lost all this personnel, but instead of restarting it and then adjusting your strategy based on that information, no, you gave the American side cheat codes. And you scripted it so that they would never lose. That tells me you don't care. You don't care if they prepared or not to face a, a, a force as formidable as Iran. All right. Any any anybody got any thoughts on that, Pastor Keith? You know, you form. I, I got a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, and again, not to change the subject, but go around to the subject a little bit. Not only that because I had heard about that too. But not only that, they did a study uh, recently, Scotty, and what they found was they were saying that <coughs> from the young men in this country between the ages of 18 and 24, they said less than a third of them, less than a third of them are capable of fulfilling uh, military obligations because of health reasons, obese, for whatever reason, less than a third of them. So let's bring this in perspective. You have a military right now that is just broke down from war fatigue. These guys have been going, doing tours after tours after tours over and over from being in constant war. So the, the military that you have is already fatigued. They're already worn, battled down, okay? Then you have this article, like I said, that they said that the, the young men that today, less than a third of them are war, war military capable. And at the same time, I just got done reading this huge article about how they're ranting and raving about the largest class of black females that have ever graduated from uh, help me out Scotty, what am I talking about? West Point Yeah, it's West Point Yeah, West Point You know, so you look at all of this stuff and like they say same crap, new day you know like you said, they fight wars that you know, they don't want, they're not worried about the American people. They're not. As demonstrated in a multiple, multiplicity of, of everything from military to food to you name it, they're demonstrating that they couldn't care less 
about the American people. Now, Keith, kind of like what they used to say back in the day. Well, I got mine, and that's their attitude. They're getting theirs. Yeah. Do you think Eric Trump is going to be drafted and deployed if this was to go? Do away? I even think that Eric Trump is even going to be prosecuted for the crimes that we know he's guilty of? Mm-hmm. Now, here's a point I want to make, and this ties back into our abortion conversation and the white fright over their declining population or their declining birth rates. Now, you say that you're concerned about white people dying off. You know, you're not saying it in those exact words, but we know, we know that that's the babies that you are concerned about being born and what have you. Now, but on the flip side of that, you keep sending in most of the, I would say, infantry troops are predominantly white. Okay, most of the infantry, artillery and all that, although, you know, you have a larger than um, our population numbers, it's more of us like we're 13 percent of the population. We probably make up maybe a third of the U.S. Army, though. So, you know, we're overrepresented in, in the U.S. military, I should say, not just the army. But again, the vast majority that I saw and I was attached to a combat unit or a combat battalion when I was with the 25th which is uh, based at Schofield Barracks. Most of them most of them combat soldiers, white. Now, so you say you're concerned about your population but you keep sending your young men off to die in unnecessary wars. It don't make any, any sense to me, Keith. It's backwards. On the one hand, be born, but why do you want more white babies to be born? You know, besides the uh, paying into Social Security. Okay. Well, because you need cannon fodder. You need cannon fodder, fodder for the 1%. Okay. So, you know, this is why they draw in these white men and white women with propaganda into supporting these wars. These wars is not going to benefit them, okay? It's not going to benefit your everyday white person. It's not. Who is it going to benefit? It's going to benefit, like Brother Davis brought up, the military-industrial complex. It's going to benefit those corporations that profit from war. It's going to benefit their stockholders and what have you. So I'm just saying, you know, this seems a bit... um, it just seems a bit asinine to me, uh, Keith, that that you want to stop people from having abortions because you want, you need a population increase, but you steadily keep sending generation after generation into unnecessary wars based on lies. I mean, what what do you think about that? I, I think you're exactly right, and and that's what I was saying yesterday. You remember I say that one hand they they do this stuff to enhance a war. But by the same token, in the other hand, they're sabotaging everything in the country. You know, so they said, well, we're going to do this for the benefit of the United States. You know, we have a reparation. I mean, we have a sanctions against these countries because because they're they're doing things that is detrimental to the United States. But by the same token, they turn right around and they're cutting education. By the same token, they turn right around and they cut pollutants, uh, uh, they increase pollutants in the air. At the same token, they turn around and they allow 
more more stuff to pollute the waters and stuff. So they do this stuff to, you know, everything that they do is contradictive on themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's right apart. And Scotty, do you realize it is 957? Um, yeah, I, I got 1054. Um, I'm on Eastern Coast time. You in Central uh, time zone, but yeah, we we we're about to write wrap this up. But here's a key point um, that I want to bring up: um, that a war with Iran um, would not be, and not to say that Iraq is a cakewalk because we're still in Iraq, you know, um, and Iraqis want us out. But you know, to show you that a war will be far worse with Iran than what we've seen in Iraq. Here, here is some key points. No, this is what I wanted to um, talk about. This goes into the finances and what have you. And Dave has talked about this over over the past year or so. All right, so it was talking about the sanctions, right? And we were talking earlier about the U.S. has sanctioned everyone. Well, that might not work this time. It says, as Henry Farrell and Abraham Newman write, the major vector of sanctions against Iran happened through the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications, also known as, as SWIFT. Scotty, you got cut off. I, I, I didn't hear what... Scotty, can you say that again? You got cut off. Okay. okay. I thought I can heard... Can you hear me? Yes, I hear, I hear you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, what was where did I leave off at? You were just talking about uh, the sanctions. Okay, let me start over. Now, the sanctions are possible, and I'm paraphrasing here. The sanctions against Iran occurred through SWIFT, and Dave has talked about SWIFT, the SWIFT synth system, Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Terminology. Of telecommunications, a Belgian cooperative that facilitates most international bank transactions. SWIFT is located in Europe, but because most such sanctions are denominated in dollars, again, this is why they went to war with Saddam, is because he was going to stop accepting dollars for his oil. Um, he was going to start accepting euros. The reason that they killed Gaddafi, he was going to create an African Union currency back by gold, which again would would displace the dollar in Africa and, and what have you. And so anyway, because SWIFT is dominated in dollars, it says the U.S. has enormous leverage over it. Cutting Iran out of the system, as happened in 2012, badly damaged the Iranian banking system and economy. However, that round of sanctions happened with the agreement of Europe. By contrast, the EU legally forbade European countries from complying with Trump's new sanctions. The law had no teeth and SWIFT complied with Trump. But the EU has since developed a special purpose vehicle which allows for transactions between Iran and Europe. So far, it has only been used for humanitarian trade, but it could easily be used for normal trade as well. Indeed, it could well be the first step in Europe, perhaps along with China, developing an alternative financial infrastructure which will break U.S. control over international sanctions. So all this belligerent aggression may well break the sanctions infrastructure Trump loves so much 
though that would probably be a good thing at this point to be fair. So that's the that's well, that's some key information. Before, I heard I heard that uh I heard that was already kind of being done anyway. Yes, the brick nations because of the same confines that they were done. Well, yeah, it was being done outside of that too because that's what the petrol dollar was about. And they said, you know, forget the petrol dollar. And they started trading for oil outside of, outside of the dollar for rubles and all of that. So mm-hmm. they were already doing some of those things mm-hmm. from, from what I understood. Yeah, I had the same understanding from. Because, you know, the yeah. whole purpose of the petrol dollar was, was the fact that you could not buy petroleum products in anything but the dollar. Mm-hmm. And and Russia and China had they had go, started going around that, um, as well as Iran. You know that they're saying, you know what, we're trading and we're not going to do it all in the dollar anymore. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and, and remember, the like, BRICS like, nations are setting up their own you know, form of doing trade without the U.S. dollar. And that includes some pretty large countries. You know, I I remember South Africa was mentioned. I think Brazil was mentioned. I would have to look that up, but don't quote me on that. But it was a number of countries with, with, you know, pretty large economies that are working with China and and what have you and working together, I should say, uh, to develop this alternative financial infrastructure because the rest of the world is tired of the United States dictating to them what they can and cannot do in terms of trade or anything else. Um, That's all I got for you today. We are, you know, uh, it's 11 a.m. right now. uh, So we're going to get ready to wrap it up. But Keith, did you have any closing thoughts? No, so I I enjoyed your show, Scotty. I think you did an outstanding job. No, no, it wasn't my show. It's our show. And I think you did an outstanding (laughs) job in co-hosting. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, that's the end of Tando Radio Show for today. Please take the information that we share with you seriously, you know, because we we don't want our family to be out there suffering. And the time for preparing was yesterday. And I understand we all don't have the same resources. We don't have the same circumstances, but do as much as you can. Do as much as you can. And this is a good good reason to also to get to know your neighbors, okay? To get to know your neighbors because, you know, we're going to need each other. We're going to need each other if things go down the way that they are projected to go down. And I'm not, you know, saying these things is necessarily a bad thing, I love the people of of the United States. I love the people. But I don't like what the U.S. government does and has been doing since its inception. inception, Okay? And empires do not last forever. Look at Rome. And the very same reasons that Rome failed, the U.S. is following down that same script. And And they will fall. And they will fail, the U.S. government. But we have an opportunity to pick up pick up the pieces, is the way I'm looking at it, and start something uh, better. 
start a, a more better nation. All right. So that's what I say. Please, please take this information seriously. Do as much as you can to prepare and make those human connections with the people where you live so that you're not out here battling adversity alone. With that said, recognize the fact we live behind the enemy lines of USA Inc., a nation that's still practicing slavery via the 13th Amendment. All right. And it's not going to end itself. Just like all this other stuff, it's not going to end itself. The U.S. is largely on a path of self-destruction, but we have to recognize where we are and what we need to do in order to survive. Peace and blessings to all. Be safe over this weekend. And we'll see you again on Monday. And wouldn't you know it, my system's starting to lock lock up. All right, here it is. We're out. Gold dinar would have Gold had serious would consequences have had for the world financial system, system, financial but, may system also but may also have empowered the people of Africa, something black activists say the U.S. wants to avoid at all costs. We're slicing cake. Slicing cake. We slicing cake. Say the US wants to avoid at all costs. We slicing cake. Say the US wants to avoid at all costs. We slicing cake. Gaddafi didn't give up. In the months leading up to the military intervention, he called.